The following podcast contains explicit language. Welcome to Mom and Dad are Fighting, Slate's parenting podcast for Thursday, March 7th, the Broken Promises edition. I'm Gabriel Roth. I'm the editorial director of Slate Podcasts, and I'm the father of Leo, who is four, and Eliza, who is eight. I'm Rebecca Lavoy. I'm a journalist and podcaster in New Hampshire, and I am mom to Henry, who is 17, Teddy, who is 16, and my stepdaughter, Lily, who is 18. And I'm Carvel Wallace, a writer and podcaster in Oakland, California, and I'm the father to Georgia, who is 13, and Ezra, who, as of last week, is 16. Happy birthday, Ezra. Today on our show, we have a question about a husband who can't keep his promises and another about a kid who has some difficult questions about why her grandfather isn't in the picture. Plus, as always, we'll have triumphs, we'll have fails, we'll make recommendations. And on Slate Plus, What Next host Mary Harris uh, has some things to say about homework. All that's coming up on Mom and Dad are Fighting. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, believe it by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, time now for triumphs and fails. Rebecca, you want to go first? Sure. So this is a follow-up on a fail. Anyone who listened to the podcast two weeks ago would have heard me talk about the, shall we call it censorship? Yes, let's call it censorship of my son and his friends, Battle of the Bands, High School Winter Carnival song selection of the Pina Colada song. And you would have also heard about their decision to install in their mashup instead the song Dancing in the Moonlight, uh, which I also argue is about themes that if the school could theoretically find objectionable if they found the Pina Colada song objectionable, but whatever. Anyway, the triumph is the senior class did in fact perform a mashup of four songs. One of them was Dancing in the Moonlight, and they won the Battle of the Bands handily. Uh, it's actually a huge triumph for Henry because this has been his like high school long goal. He is one of the only musicians in his class and in, in the senior class, and he's been, you know, kind of a serious musician since the ninth grade. In the ninth grade, the Winter Carnival, the uh, freshman class lost the Battle of the Bands horribly. It was just like him and one other kid on the stage. Sophomore year, it was like him and like two kids on stage, uh, and and. But at the end of both of those, like he would come home and it'd be like, all I want to do, I don't care if I accomplish anything else in high school, is win this stupid Battle of the Bands competition. It's like, I don't know why it's so important to me. It just is. It's sort of an expression of like the school spirit he thinks his classmates should have but don't or something. I'm not sure. Anyway, um, I think the censorship incidents with the Pina Colada song got a bunch more kids interested in participating than would have been interested in participating prior to the censorship. I'm not 100% sure how it all came together, but um, there ended up being like 10 kids on stage. And, you know, if you just look at the video, it looks just like, you know, 10 white kids from a New Hampshire high school. But if you know the kids uh, that this group comprises, these are kids from 
all kinds of different interests, walks of life, cliques, groups. There's there are jocks. There are theater kids. And it ended up being like a resplendent, uh, not super musical, but fantastic performance. And they did, in fact, win. So huge triumph for Henry in accomplishing the biggest goal uh, he had in high school and overcoming the censorship of the Pina Colada song incident with such a plum. So I'm very proud of him and all of his friends for pulling that together. I, I think it's just delightful that in the in the sometimes segregated world of high school that different people can come together to perform that great 1972 hit by Franco-American group King Harvest, Dancing in the Moonlight. <laughs> yes, I mean, there was there was a Kanye song. There was like another pop song. There was a, a little cut from um, uh, Sound of Silence from uh, Simon and Garfunkel that opened their mashup. It was mm-hmm. it was just a it was just a like. An epic show of what happens when you pull like a kid, a bunch of like football kids into it and like what they want to do. And then a couple of like actual music kids and what they want to do. And it just it just kind of all came together. It's really joyful and weird. And yes, they are a little bit out of step with 2019, which has already been discussed, Gabe. (laughs) And they're very comfortable with it. No, I think it's great that, that the young people of today are are getting into the classic, classic rock groups like King Harvest, a band who I had definitely heard of before I just looked them up on Wikipedia. Uh, Carvel, what about you? Triumph or fail? Uh, I have a triumph, which is that, as I mentioned in the opening, Ezra turned 16 this weekend on Sunday. We actually had, he actually had a number of victories this weekend, and I'd like to enumerate all of them. Number one, he was very close to losing his eligibility to perform in a school play. And then at the last minute, through a series of miracles, not to mention the kindly intervention of his uh, geometry teacher, which is the class he was failing, he, he successfully moved to a D minus in geometry, causing waves of celebration throughout all of Oakland. Uh, and uh, congratulations to him. And actually, even though that's been the main story of the semester is that he, he almost lost his eligibility to perform right before the show opened. Um, it should be said that he actually has A's and B's in all of his classes, which he's literally never done. He has A's and B's in every class, and then he had one F in geometry, and it got moved to a D minus because he did some makeup work, and he just squeezed in under the wire. So as much as like I'm like, you should probably get your shit together from geometry wise. The fact that his that the rest of his grades are where they are is like really impressive. So he's definitely like making the slow turnaround towards being some kind of legitimate student, and uh, none too soon. He's not doing it with the with the pace and urgency I would like from him, but I am not, I'm just one guy. And so he gets to do his thing. And so that's one victory. The second victory is that he did then perform and he, um, he was Laertes in the production of Hamlet, which we went and saw with all family and friends and everyone and all, all the people who've known Ezra since he was an embryo. And uh, we all saw him perform Laertes in Hamlet and he was great. And the performance was great. They had, they actually was they felt that it was a terrible show because it was the Saturday night show. Those kids rehearsed an insane amount coming up to it. They even had rehearsals the day of, which anyone who's in theater knows that you don't typically do unless the show is in dire straits, which surprised the high school production of Hamlet was in dire straits. Um, <laughs> but uh, but we, you know, it's a, it's a lot. And uh, but but we got there Saturday night and they had done a matinee that day and they had, you know, and so they were wiped and there were a lot of 
mess ups on stage and people forgetting their cues and occasional light screw ups and Ezra got a little injured during the fight sequence. And, you know, they were definitely it was definitely a tired cast. I could see that watching it. But even that still, I was just tremendously impressed with what those kids did and 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 with and with what Ezra did. And I was like, I can't believe that all this time that I'm sort of thinking, God, this kid's wasting his time. He's never doing anything productive. Like, what's he doing? I can't. He's, is he watching yet another YouTube video that he's he managed to do all the schoolwork and memorize all this Shakespeare and get on stage and perform it? And, and be, he was just really good. And uh, yeah, the whole thing was just wonderful. So that was the victory. And then Sunday came. That was Saturday night. They closed the show Saturday night. There was a Sunday show, but they double cast the show so that more kids get part. He wasn't in the Sunday show. Sunday came. It was his birthday. And we let him do whatever he wanted for his birthday. And his vision for his birthday was that the whole family would um, hang out together. That's all of us, Joe, her boyfriend, Jeff. Georgia, myself. And so we spent the whole day together. First, we went to Best Buy because Ezra got a gift certificate to Best Buy uh, to replace some headphones that he had lost. And then he got to Best Buy and we all went and we all just had fun in Best Buy and were making jokes in the refrigerator section. And it was just like this great thing. He ended up not buying headphones because he sort of thought that he wanted to preserve his resources and build towards something bigger, which I thought was great. Then on the way home, we ordered a huge Korean food feast and we took it home and Ezra wanted to show us a movie that his vision was that he would pick out a movie that we would all watch and enjoy. And he picked out this Netflix film called The Kindergarten Teacher that he had seen. And it was unbelievable. It was such an an intense and devastating film. And we everyone was just glued to the screen. And we had this, I mean, we just, we laughed, we cried, literally, like I'm not, like everyone in the family cried during this movie. Everyone in the family laughed during this movie. And it was just such a great bonding experience. And it was all engineered by Ezra. It was exactly what he wanted for his birthday. And he got it. It was just beautiful. And so this was a weekend in which I really got to see all his edges of growth in every direction. And I, it was just beautiful. So that, that's the, the triumph this week is, is Ezra turning 16 and showing some signs of growing up. And it's really, it's really beautiful to watch. That's amazing. Yeah, that's lovely. The thing of like showing other people the movie that you have chosen is such a fraught situation. And when it goes good, it's so great. And when Mm. it doesn't work, it could be like an hour and 45 minutes of like just utter excruciating hell. (laughs) Totally. Totally. So, you know, I think it's a. It's like important for him to for to to prove that he has good, mature, complex taste in films. You know, sometimes we we jokingly call Ezra the vibe police because he's always policing the vibe. Like he's always like, "Is this the right song?" Like we'll be in the car and he'll be like, "Really, Georgia? This is the song you chose? This is not the right vibe." For, you know what I mean? Like he's like, "It's five thirty. We're driving back from Marin. We need like a chill sunset vibe. Like what is it?" You know. So he really like he really cares about curating the right media for every situation. And it brings him great joy to do that successfully. And yes, sometimes it doesn't work, but mostly he's really good at it because he cares a lot about it. And so, you know, I I felt pretty sure that he would know what would play with this like crowd of people with varying tastes. And he did. And he's just, you know, it's just, it's just a thing that he's really good at. So, yeah, I just it was such a lovely weekend with him all the way around. 
I want to put in a little plug too. Like of of all of the box stores, the big box stores, Best Buy really is the most fun one to go to with your kids because there's oh, yeah. so many weird things there. Like we were just there a couple of days ago too to get you know some earbuds or something, and there's so many freaking weird things to look at that like or, or things to see. Like you can see look at the Oculus Rift stuff. They have the uh, that weird hair dryer that that's like six hundred dollars. That's like just a, like a <laughs> hole on a stick. Like they have so many cool things like old you know polaroid cameras you know the, the home theater stuff and it just is like it's not about i mean of course it's about consumption because you they want you to buy all that stuff uh the store does but the kids i don't think have an expectation that you're going to walk out with all these things and they just love looking at them so so that store and stores like it they are i think more fun to walk around in <laughs> with kids than other kinds yeah. of stores so yeah it was it was it was like surprisingly fun to take a family trip to best buy <laughs> and um, I, like I said, at one point I wandered off because they now have a whole kitchen and stove section, which I'm like yeah. starting to low key become obsessed with. And so I was there and then Georgia wandered over while Ezra was like per- persevering over the headphones. And then she and I just opened like as many ridiculous refrigerators as we could and made fun of them. And like, why is this refrigerator $20,000? And then Ezra came over and joined us in our refrigerator, like it's roasting. And it was just great. The whole thing was just great. <laughs> That's cool. Um, I have a triumph too. I'm really sorry, everybody. It's the third triumph of the week. Um, <laughs> so this came up, it starts several months ago when somehow Eliza had heard about Dungeons and Dragons, the sword and sorcery fantasy role-playing game. Uh, and she said, dad, what's Dungeons and Dragons? And I, as a young man, used to play Dungeons and Dragons when I was a teenager, me and my friends used to play Dungeons and Dragons. And I got very excited about it. And I told her, oh, it's this great game where you're making up a story. You and your friends get together and one person is the dungeon master. They're like the guide and you each, the others all play a character and you have, you go on an adventure, but the adventure is just you making it up to together collaboratively and so it's this really fun game and she's really into like fantasy stuff and like wizards and stuff these days and so she was like can i play dungeons and dragons and i said i think dungeons and dragons is a little too old for you but i bet you there's a kid-friendly version of some kind of role-playing game uh would you like me to look into that she said yes so i looked on the internet and i found the one that people recommend is is a game called no thank you evil it's a role-playing game for like five to twelve year olds and i said would you like to do this and she said yeah i would and so i ordered a copy and between like ordering it and then um get it like she has three best friends there's a group of four girls in her class at school and she wanted to play it with them so getting everybody like scheduled to come over and and play this game took a little while and also if any of you have ever played role-playing games, you know that like just reading the rule book takes a really long time. Like the game mechanics get super complicated and it turns out that that's also sort of true of No Thank You Evil, the role-playing game for five to 12 year olds. Like just learning how this thing works to the point where I was confident that I could like run a gaming session with four eight-year-old girls uh, took me a, a, a little bit of homework in the evenings and stuff. But on Sunday, they all came over and, and I, I, we planned it for a day when Leo had a birthday party to go to. And, and so the, me and the girls had the apartment to ourselves and they came over, they sat around the table, they made up characters. And then we did this adventure. It took the whole thing took about two hours and it was so fun. It was just 
the most awesome fun thing. And partly it was fun because role-playing games are really fun and making up stories together is really fun and getting to share that with my kid, this thing that I used to do when I was 14 and, and haven't really done since, but that still like I feel like a deep love for that activity. Getting to do this with Eliza was just like great and getting to see her like make decisions and like get engaged in the story and like when I would bring out like uh, the witches come out and they make these scary noises and like seeing these kids sort of slightly get a little excited about fighting the witches super fun <laughs> but then also it had this whole other side which was I got to see her and her three friends from second grade and how they operate together and like how they take turns, how they cut each other off, which one takes which role. This one turns out to be the like really curious one. This one turns out to be the quiet one. This one turns out to be the sort of brash, aggressive one. And I just, I feel like now I understand this part of her life that until then I, I hadn't had access to at all. And it was super fun. If if this were a, a segment that we might call recommendations, then I, I would be recommending playing role-playing games with your kid. But um, instead, I'm, I'm going to cite it as a triumph because I feel like I'm really glad I got my shit together to like figure out how to play this game and, and set it up and play it with them. There is no better feeling than like putting together a certain amount of effort as a parent to make something happen and then having it go exactly as as well as you hoped it would. That happens so rarely. So often you either put forth a tremendous amount of effort and it goes okay or you hastily try to assemble something that you hope is going to be fine and it turns into a freaking disaster. Or it's rare that you get that perfect match of like, I, tr I had a vision, I tried to make something happen, I, I made it happen, and then all of w that, all that transpired with the kids was exactly at the level that I hoped it would. That's so rare and I just think that like we should celebrate those times when it happens. That's exactly totally. how I felt. It's just the kind of thing that I would have said, yeah, that sounds great, we'll do it, and then never done it. And this time I was <laughs> totally. like, no, I'm going to do this one. And I did and it was great. The other thing is, like as it was going on, you know, they're eight years old. Like focusing on a, th they can't, sustained concentrate on a thing for two hours you know what i mean and so there's moments where they're being a little obnoxious there's moments where they're losing the plot there's moments where they're getting up and sort of running around and i, I don't know if you know this about me but i'm a person who sort of likes it when everything goes smoothly and everybody does things my way and <laughs> I had no, no idea and there's, what a surprise there's <laughs> moments where it wasn't quite like that and it was more like i had to roll with it and be patient and not get flustered because i knew if i got flustered the whole thing would fall apart I had to just like let them do what they were gonna do and then also gently bring them back to what I was gonna have them do and I I really was able to do that successfully so so that is yet another aspect of my triumph I'm feeling great about this <laughs> good for <laughs> you thank you, you you worked that muscle a little I, bit because I did so you're, gonna, you're gonna need it more and more as your kids get older and <laughs> yeah. stop doing what you want them to do right right exactly Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Before we move on, let's do the business. 
Slate has launched a parenting newsletter. If you want to get Slate's great parenting content, including this podcast, including Carvel's care and feeding advice columns, including so much more, sign up at slate.com slash parenting email. That's slate.com slash parenting email. If you want to ask us a question for us to answer on this very show, you can call and leave us a message at 424-255-7833. Or if you would rather have your message read out in the lovely voice of Slate IT guru Shasha Leonard, you can email us momanddad at slate.com. If you're not yet a member of our Facebook group, why not? Go to facebook.com and search for Slate Parenting. Uh, it is the best thing on Facebook and perhaps the entire internet. On Slate Plus today, we're going to talk to Mary Harris about the problem of homework and particularly math homework. If you want to hear that conversation uh, and you want to get this podcast with no ads every week, sign up for Slate Plus. It's our paid membership program. It's a great way to support Slate, support this show, and also hear more mom and dad are fighting every week. Just go to slate.com slash mom and dad plus and join Slate Plus today ad-free extended versions of your favorite podcasts, bonus episodes, and so much more. Slate.com slash mom and dad plus. Okay, onward. Time now for us to take a question from a listener. It's being read for us as ever by Slate's very own information technology wizard, Shasha Leonard. Hi, mom and dad are fighting. I am the mom of a four-year-old and a six-year-old. My dad has long-term addiction and manipulation issues. And while I had a lot of contact with him growing up, when I had my daughter, six, I made the decision to pull back my relationship with my dad. At this point, we do not talk at all. This has been great for my mental health, but my kids have started asking a lot of questions, and I am not sure what to tell them. They have a relationship with my husband's parents and my mom and her partner, but they know that her partner is not my dad. My daughter typically asks who my dad is, and I answer with his name. When she asks why she doesn't see him, I've just said that we aren't close, but that does not satisfy her. My son, four, recently asked if I didn't have a dad when I was growing up. Do you have any thoughts for how to answer these questions? I don't want to create fears about the permanence of family, but I also don't want to blow off their questions. Thanks. Well, I can re certainly relate to this question. As um, some listeners may know, I have a similar relationship with my dad. We don't talk much and we are somewhat estranged and that was mostly my choice. And there are consequences of that that are very, very good. Um, and I think you, writer inner, are feeling some of those benefits. I don't want to call them consequences. They're really benefits. You're feeling more mentally healthy. You're feeling freer. You're able to better enjoy the relationships you have with the parents that are part of your life. And then the downsides of these complicated familial estrangements are that sometimes you have some explaining to do. Um, there are other downsides too, uh, of course, but with kids in particular who are, you know, used to the idea of grandparents being around, being available, who perhaps have friends who have grandparents who are around and available. I think there's a lot of opportunity for curiosity there. And I think it's supernatural for them to be curious. And I think it's completely fine for you to say, 
Um, yes, I grew up. I had a father growing up. Uh, but at this point, we don't get along really well. And, um, you know, we don't have a, a great we don't have a relationship. And just be honest about it. And then when you get follow up questions, I don't see the reason to just not kind of reiterate what you said. I mean, I, I think the one thing that you wrote here was that you don't want to ingrain a fear of family uh, estrangement or family loss or division or, you know, whatever those fears are that you have. I think that that fear is not what your daughter is likely talking about. I think what she's talking about is just her curiosity. She has a picture in her mind of what a family tree could or should or does look like in other families. And she's curious about the disparity between that picture and what your family actually looks like. And I don't think you need to say more than... Uh, we don't have a relationship, and I know that our family tree looks a little bit different than you perhaps think it might, but that's, you know, I, I, I don't see any reason just not to continue being honest in that way. You don't need to go into details about all the things that uh, you believe uh, your father did or that you have all your, you know, deep emotional reasons for estrangement. You guys can get into that later when she's older and those conversations are more appropriate. But I think the direction you're going in is fine. And if she continues to ask the question, um, you may find that this is just part of having a kid that age. Typically, if they're really curious about something, asking it once and then dropping it forever is not part of the pattern. Um, And you're probably going to be doing that with lots of other topics, too, answering the same question again and again and again. And I would think of this as one of those. This is inciting a special curiosity. And you are going to have to answer it honestly um, again and again and again. So I wouldn't worry about it more than that if it were me. Yeah, I think the thing that you said, Rebecca, that I I think is at the core of this is that for the letter writer, it feels like this is about all of the actual painful issues in her relationship with her father, right? For you, it it feels like it's about the addiction and the manipulation and all of the really concrete, horrible stuff that your father did to you and the really difficult, painful feelings that you experienced in, in growing up with him as a father and then presumably in separating from him as an adult. And so when, when, when the kids ask you about like, who's your dad? You think that's what they're asking about. They're not asking about that. They're asking just the most banal possible question, which is, well, I think of everybody as having a mom and a dad and you have a dad. And I know that this guy, your stepfather is not your dad. So who is your dad? And you can tell them he has a name. Here's his name. He was my dad. I don't talk to him anymore. And that's what they need to know. They'll ask you why you don't talk to him anymore. We don't get along. He was a difficult person. I, I, I feel happier when I don't talk to him. Uh, and, and that will be sort of interesting to them. But this is not fraught for them in the way that it's fraught for you. It's not complicated in the same way. They, I think if it, like they have functionally four grandparents, they have, your, you know, your husband's parents and they have your mother and stepfather and and hopefully they can have good relationships with their grandparents so they won't feel like deprived of grandparenthood. But like mostly they're just like, huh, well, here's a thing that occurs to me about the world. Mom must have a dad, but I don't know who he is. Who is he? Um, so I think just giving them the answer and then like answering their questions, you'll find that it's like way simpler for them than it is for you. Yeah, I mean, that's that's pretty much exactly what I was sitting here thinking. I was reflecting of all the different times that my kids have asked me to explain difficult things to them. And I was and it had dawned on me that, like, especially when reading this letter, that the th- reason things there's two reasons it could be difficult to explain something to a kid. One is that the actual facts are difficult and you don't quite fully know them well enough to understand how to explain it. Uh, like when my kids ask me, you know, like when some topic comes up about like 
space-time <laughs> quark theory or something. And I'm like, well, I don't really fully know, you know? Um, or why is air-chilled chicken better than, like, whatever? Then I'm like, I don't actually know the answer to this. But there, the other time things are difficult to explain to my kids is when I have a tremendous, like, complex emotional is when the is when the the topic triggers complicated emotions for me, and the facts are actually relatively simple. The emotions are complicated, and I think that this question for the letter writer falls into the second category. I don't think that the letter writer is asking for help because she doesn't know what the facts of the case are, or how to how to explain the facts. I think she's asking for help navigating the emotional difficulty of it. And the reason that is hard is because it feels like you're passing that emotional complexity onto your kids and you don't want to do that, but you want to be honest, but you don't want to make them feel confused, but you have all these emotions, but you don't want them to carry this heavy burden of weight. And so that is where, that is why things like this feel sticky to us. But I think like Gabe and Rebecca said, you're not passing on this weight to them you're it's by talking to them about it doesn't mean that you're giving it to them for them you're just answering a question and i think that it's it's helpful to answer the question factually so that they stop asking you i mean just strategically if kids don't get a satisfying answer or if they sense that you're withholding something then they'll just keep picking at it because they want to know what it is what's behind the curtain you know and so i think that actually the the strategy here is to say Exactly what's been said twice before, which is that, yes, I do have a dad, uh, but uh, we don't get along uh, and it makes me feel better and happier when we when I don't interact with him. You can even say in some simplistic language why it is that you don't get along, because that's a question that could come up. Uh, and then and then you can let it go. And I think my experience with kids is that they will probably not necessarily keep asking for sorted detail after sorted detail because they don't even know that sorted details are sorted and exist at this mm. point. They just need an explanation for why it is that there's a dad, but he's not around. And as time goes on, they will want to know more. And they'll want to know more as those kinds of details become relevant to their own lives. Like this question about manipulation. They'll want to know about it when they start experiencing or seeing manipulation happening in the world and start wanting to know about that. Questions about toxic relationships. Those questions will come up when they start experiencing and seeing toxic relationships and knowing that that's a thing and wondering where they fit into. Questions about addiction. They'll start wondering about that when addiction shows up in their lives and start wondering what's that about and what happens when people are addicts and what's it like to have a parent who's an addict. All those things will come in due time. And I think all the way through, you get to explain as honestly as you can. The other thing to remember is that kids, whatever you explain to them, there it's I think sometimes we worry that our influence is going to be so great that we're going to steer them in some wrong direction and it might not be right. And we're hoarding all this influence on them. But the reality is they're going to find out whatever they want to find out anyway. So even if you say, yeah, my dad was a terrible person and is a piece of shit and I hate him and fuck him and I never. And then uh, and for some reason, your kid wants to or does have a different experience with this person or or wants to seek out this person. As they go through life and gain more agency, if it troubles them, they're going to do that. And they may develop a relationship with this person based 
on what you said, or they may develop no relationship based on what you said, or they may develop a relationship with them that's different. And all that is possible. I'm not saying that any of that is good. What I'm saying is you don't have to overplay or over-concern yourself with the amount of control that you're exerting on their future relationships by telling them the truth now. You get to speak your truth. You get to say what happened to you. And everyone else can figure it out from there. That's kind of my take on stuff like this. No, I agree. What you said is right. I mean, I should point out my kids do have a relationship with my dad. It's not close. I mean, they play golf like a couple times a year or something like that. It's um, it's very much like transactional, like um, you know, activity based, a very occasional relationship. But um, you know, that's something that you know, I I. I was always comfortable being honest with them. And when the opportunities came up, when he wanted to spend time with them, kind of as they got older, when they were younger, I could set real boundaries around it and say, you know, I'm comfortable with this, but I'm not comfortable with that. And now that they're old enough where they can just sort of be contacted on their own via text and phone and stuff, they can make their own plans. They definitely it's really amazing. Like they figure it out. I mean, they really understand the dynamics they understand they it's it's kids are just so so smart when it comes to uh character and people and um and you know especially in the context of their of their family and what they're comfortable with and what they aren't and i think that if i hadn't been as honest with them growing up about my issues with my dad and the reasons for our estrangement because it wasn't always estrangement when they were younger we had a relationship and it would just get really rocky and then we didn't have a relationship and then we did again and then we didn't again and then i was just like this is just really bad for me um if I, I don't think I had been as transparent with them throughout, I, I, I think I would have been setting them up for the same kind of relationship with him that I had, where I expected more and it just was never there or I expected something that wasn't, you know, part of that, that just wasn't inherent to the relationship. And them going in knowing exactly what the situation is, that I've made this choice and the reasons why that I explained to them as they got older and it was more appropriate, they're able to kind of make their own draw their own boundaries, make their own choices. And they're not being told, oh, this person's great. He's just never around. And then setting their own expectations different than they should be, if that makes sense. Like they, they're coming into it with their eyes open and they're making choices based on the information they have that we've shared and also their own experience. And voila, magically, through the power of something, I call it intuition and how great and smart kids are, they have kind of come to the same conclusions that I have, (laughs) you know, about um, the relationship they would like to have with him and keeping it, you know, limited and so forth. So I don't know. I mean, I, I just tend to think transparency as much as you can and as age appropriate is best with these things. All right. Thanks very much for writing in. Um, I hope it goes well. I think this will not be as big of an issue as it feels to you right now, but good luck with it. Time to take another letter from another listener, once again being read for us uh, by Slate Computer Magic Lady, Shasha Leona. Dear Mom and Dad, my husband and I have been happily married for 12 years. We have two great kids, ages seven and five, and my husband is a loving, great guy, but one place my husband falls short is keeping promises. I have been with him 18 years, and he has always been this way. He will say he will do something, but will fail to do it. I believe that when he makes promises like this, he has every intention of following through, but just forgets. Normally, he really only does it to me. I am five foot two, and he is six foot tall, so many of the things I ask him to do are tasks that are difficult for a shorter person, like change the AC filter in the ceiling. 
He only needs a short step stool in order to reach it. I need to use the 40-pound ladder, which feels like 80 pounds to me. You can see why I ask him to do it. He will promise to do it every time I request, and yes, I am asking nicely, but he will fail to do it for months until I give up and do it myself, usually hurting myself getting the ladder in the process. It is super frustrating when he does this to me, but now he's starting to do the same thing to our children. Our son asked for his sheets to be changed on his bed, but he has a junior loft bed, which is about three to four feet tall, so it is difficult for me to change his bed. It is a kid's bed, and I am afraid of breaking it by climbing on it since I am heavier than the max weight. It takes my husband about two minutes to change the sheets with very minimal frustration. It takes me at least five minutes of struggling to change them. Our son knows this, so he asked his dad. This was four weeks ago. His dad promised to do it on the weekend and failed to do it. Our son asked again a couple days ago. My husband said he was sorry he forgot to do it and promised to do it over the weekend. Again, he has failed to follow through. I stripped the bed today, which isn't nearly as challenging as putting clean sheets on. My hope is that my husband will see that there are no sheets on the bed when he gets home from work and take the initiative to change them himself. But I will probably have to remind him to do it. I am so tired of shouldering all of the mental work in our household and having to nag my husband to follow through with his promises. I absolutely hate nagging. I don't like it when others do it to me, and I certainly don't want to be seen as a nag. But what else can you do when someone says they will do things and then doesn't actually do them? I need to talk to him about this, but I don't want it to be a confrontation that makes him feel defensive. How should I handle this? Thanks. Frustrated Mama. Um... I'm I'm going to handle this one first because I maybe understand w- what it's like to be married to such a person by virtue of my wife telling me what it's like to be married to such a person. <laughs> um, so, so I feel like I have some insight there from my wife's um, very clear and and uh, lucid descriptions of that experience. Um, I am sure it's really frustrating. It it fucking sucks. I I, I want to say, and I, you know, my wife is probably listening, and I hope she won't disagree with any of this. Um, I want to say that I have improved a lot at this particular thing. That I am now much more likely to get the thing done with much less nagging and much less bullshit uh, than I would have been. I don't know, ten years ago or or before the kids were born. Uh, and and so maybe I can sort of suggest ways in which you might be able to get your husband to do better at it as well. I I don't want to claim that I'm like on top of my shit now, but I'm better than I used to be. The first thing is I think you should read this letter to your husband. Or mm. maybe even better, you should mm. like play a bit of this podcast and play Shasha reading your letter and say, listen, I I just need you to know that this ongoing situation that you're aware of where I ask you to do things and you say you'll do them and then you don't do them is a sufficiently big part of my life that I wrote this very substantial and detailed and emotional three paragraph letter to a parenting podcast and they played it on the air and then discussed it. I just need you to register that that's how big this is in my mind and and play it for him or let him read it and, and let him see these are the words that I use to describe our marriage. 
This is what I say about you. I say you're a loving, great guy, but you fall short on keeping promises. There is no, I assume, I'm I'm, going to take you at your word that he is indeed a loving, great guy. And there are no loving, great guys who can hear that about themselves and not feel terrible about themselves. Nobody Mm. wants to be the person who says he'll do things and then doesn't do them. Nobody feels good about being described by their spouse as that person. Uh, and, and so it it may be that like giving him some sense of how this whole thing plays out for you and how he exists in your mind in this regard will be a reality check for him. Uh, and, and that that will be helpful in terms of motivating him to, to do better at this stuff. And then the second thing is like, I think you guys need a different system. I think the system where you say, will you change the sheets on the bed? And he says, yep, I'll change the sheets on the bed and I'll do it by this weekend at the latest. And then that's it. That seems to be a system that's not working for anybody. Um, and and I don't know what, you know, we've tried a variety of systems. Some of them work better than others. We have email threads going. We have check-in times when we discuss the logistics. I now have a system of work to-dos and home to-dos. And I, I am able to get them done by like putting them, listing them in a special place and then having times when my phone tells me that I have to check the list of things to do and do them if I'm supposed to do them. But like build in some kind of mechanism that forces this stuff in front of his awareness because I think you've already seen that by default, none of it is going to come into his mind at the moment when it would be helpful for it to come into his mind. Honestly, I think smartphones are really good for this and I basically hate smartphones, but one thing they're good at is like pushing things into your mind at, at moments when you wouldn't otherwise have that thing. And, and if he can like not look at his text notifications or his Facebook notifications, but instead be seeing a reminder on his phone that says, change the sheets. Um, that might be helpful to him, uh, at least maybe in the short term. So those are my two suggestions. Read this letter to him and um, try to implement some kind of mechanism or help him implement some kind of mechanism whereby he is reminded of the things that he's meant to do in a useful way. Gabe, I think it's really great that you um, stepped up and you know sort of acknowledged that you know this resonates with you because it resonates with me too. I'm on the other side of it. I'm married to somebody exactly like this writer inner describes, like exactly to a T. And I 100% believe her husband is an awesome guy because I am married to an awesome, awesome guy who is super laid back and super chill and super easy to be with and fun to be with and does anything that I ask him to do that needs to be done to be helpful. And it makes me feel so crushingly lonely that I do have to continue to ask him to do all of these basic things that are just surrounding us all the time. You know, sheet changing is a great example. Uh, Laundry is a great example. Just regular housework, like the part of the CSI doll mess that I talked about a week ago on this podcast is still upstairs in the hallway of off of our living room when he said he'd bring the stuff down and put it back in Lily's closet because he can walk by it and just not see it. It's something like programmed in a laid back guy's brain. Um, It's like what you get with that is also the lack of like proactive list checking gratification, which is like the hallmark of like a more like front of their feet, less laid back person. So I totally uh, think it's awesome that you stepped up with this game. And I just want to be clear that like I know the intention of my husband and the writer inner's husband and you, Gabe, is not waking up in the morning and think, how can I make my wife feel terrible today? How can I make her feel super lonely today? How can I make her feel like she's carrying the whole 
weight of everything we have to do and that it's all on her and how can I make her feel lonely? Like you're not thinking that. Like I know that you're not. And I know Kevin is not thinking that. Um, and, you know, I, I would suggest two things. Um, one thing that's been really helpful for me is uh, breaking my leg. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's a terrible I, suggestion I, uh, it's a terrible suggestion but I literally uh, like Kevin is like so on top of shit now because he has had to be for three months so for three months it was literally just not an option like there was literally like nobody else was going to walk the dogs at six o'clock in the morning because I couldn't I mean I'm getting around a lot better now but like I still can't carry big baskets of things down the stairs I have to hold on to the railing when I walk down the stairs and just like the in the absence of me being able to, um, it was it, it, it the, the sort of pairing of stuff needed to be done with also wanting to take care of me like more proactively, I think, than like a person who isn't living with a person with a broken leg. That's been really helpful. So I'm not saying break your leg, obviously, but I'm saying if you do break your leg, don't feel bad about retraining some of those habits because some of this stuff seems to be sticking. It really does. Um, but second, I think systems really work. I mean, because it does feel demoralizing to say the same things over and over and over again and to come home from someplace and say, hey, did you remember to do the long and then when they say no, it's like you, it means you don't love me because if you did, you would have done this much one thing. I mean, it's very easy to go there. It's obviously not what it means, but it's so easy to go there. And systems really do help. We have a giant chalkboard wall in our kitchen on which we just write all the stuff that we're supposed to do. And the only thing that I now tell Kevin to do regularly is like, look at the list. Just look at the list. Just look at it. Just make sure you look at it. Please look at the list while I'm gone. Please look at the list. And that's and that's just like one thing. And that way, if everything isn't done, um, it's, you know, I don't immediately jump to you I mean, you must not love me otherwise you would have done this silly thing to help out and like pull your weight i just think like oh he looked at the list but there must have been some other stuff to do like i have now changed that in my mind because there is this other system in place it does really really help so um in addition to breaking your leg i do think systems are good and i do think it's a good idea i mean i thought the first time i had the conversation with kevin where i said listen the fact that you know i leave the house and you tell me you're going to do something and i come back and it hasn't been done uh or the fact that you forgot to do this pickup or the fact that whatever it just it's not just inconvenient it's just it's lonely it makes me feel lonely and sad I thought the first time I had that conversation was going to be the last time I was going to have that conversation. <laughs> I promise you, yeah. I've had uh, versions of this conversation over and over and over again for the last 10 years. Um, but what I have learned is that it is very important when you're having this conversation. And I've something that I've just like picked up over time is to remember the intention because it, words come out differently and the conversation becomes more productive each time. We are at least talking about something different most of the time now but you know it is it's also just a product of living with somebody sometimes you live with somebody and they, they just are programmed differently than you are but i feel you and i'm with you and gabe i think you're great and i think a systems it was a great advice yeah i mean i think you guys yeah i think you both have like put together the the like complete answer i mean i think on the one hand you know the reason like being, I, I grew up as a tr tremendously forgetful person, uh, and as my, as I like watching my son do the same thing, and now to a certain extent, Georgia, she's like having a whole nother set of things with keys and cards, which we haven't gotten into, but you know, these forgetful phases, but I was definitely like felt 
I don't know if I was or wasn't, but it felt to me like I was for, super forgetful and people, teachers were always coming down on me for being careless. And I, you know, I just always felt like I could never get it right. And everyone else was getting it right. And I couldn't. One thing I think that <clears throat> needs to be separated out is the distinction between a person sort of being forgetful kind of like as a way of being, which is a thing. And, uh, on the other hand, that's separate from the impact that that forgetfulness has on a person's family system and community. And I think where one word crosses over from just like, oh, a lovable personality trait to something else is when a person isn't, doesn't, they're not responsible or responding caringly to the, to the impact of that forgetfulness. Because the impact of it for me is what made me feel like I whatever it, whatever personality traits I have about forgetting stuff, I have to change them because they impact people that I love. And so uh, forget whatever my own narrative and my own insecurity and my own feeling of like, oh, I'm being nagged just like my fourth grade teacher used to nag me. Like all that stuff now is like, who cares? It's over. I can talk about that with my therapist. The point is that in the family system where I'm responsible for helping around the house, for dealing with kids, for making sure dinner's on the table, for stuff like that my forgetfulness has an impact. And so I think it's frustrating for a partner when when a person doesn't change, not because they're forgetful, but because they seem to be not acknowledging caringly the impact their forgetfulness is having. And so for us, I like felt like I had to do that. And uh, that's where the systems come into place because I don't have the kind of brain that remembers everything. I, I literally, it's amazing how stuff will just fall through the bottom of my brain like a trap door. It's like I just have a trap door in the back of my head that just r randomly removes facts and I don't know where they went. And I'm like, what am I doing? And so uh, systems are super helpful. I write everything down. I use a, I use two different list-making apps to, you know what I mean? I have one that's open all the time so that every time I like even glance over to that side of my computer screen, I see a list of, and I'm like, oh my God, I was supposed to email the thing or I forgot to look at the whatever. And that's one thing I think. So I think like what Gabe said, if you share this letter with your husband, then he will see things from your point of view, which I think is what's missing here. And maybe that's even what's frustrating or even maddening about it. I think the other thing is that for people like that, unless they're physically seeing the words in front of them on a regular, consistent basis, they will forget. And so you have to put the words in front of this person on a regular, consistent basis, or he has to, or everyone has to. And so I think there should be a big old list in the kitchen or wherever that you can always look at and say, this isn't done. You didn't do these things. And unless this person is working out of some kind of like deep set uh, resentment towards his whole family and sort of like expressing itself through forgetfulness, then literally having a physical list of all the stuff that you need to do for people who love you and that you love and that you haven't done is enough of a game changer in and of itself. So I think letting them know that the real impact this is having, that it's beyond just like a vague inconvenience, but it's actually a major problem in the system. And then making sure that um, this person can actually see everything that's written uh, in front of them and have a real clear sense so that you're not the holder of this information, that you're not the one who has to nag because you're right. You should not be in a position of having to nag. That is unfair to you. And that is not a thing you should have to do. And there's nothing worse than like sitting on the couch with your partner and being like, I feel like you never do anything. And then being like, I feel like I do a lot of stuff. Then everyone's like feeling stuff and there's no facts and emotions are kind of like up in the air, but there's nothing objective you can look at. And the list is super objective. You get to just say, look, here are nine things that you said you would do in the last whatever that you haven't done. And I think that's motivating for everyone, even especially if the person is 
by your account, loving, caring of his family, but just forgetful. I, th- I think that's super effective. So, yeah, that's those are my thoughts on that. All right. Uh, thanks a lot for writing in. If you figured this one out, let us know. I think there's a few of us on the on the cast of this show who would be quite interested to hear your solution. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, and a few who may be married to people on the cast of this show. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Meanwhile, it turns out Rebecca and I are essentially married to one another at some remove. <laughs> so that was a fun discovery for all of us. Uh, thanks for prompting that realization. <laughs> this episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget, giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. It's time now for the part of the show that we call Recommendations. It's where, of course, we make recommendations. Uh, Rebecca, do you want to make a recommendation? Sure. Uh, I am always reticent to recommend anything on Reddit on this show because I'm always afraid that like (laughs) some parent is just going to send their kid a link to a subreddit and then they'll all of a sudden like be on a whole different subreddit. So Rebecca, why are you recommending Momo? (laughs) (laughs) With the caveat that what I'm recommending is specific content and not actually sending your young child a link to Reddit ever. uh, There's a wonderful subreddit I discovered this week. You know, as you know, I love dogs and there's a subreddit that's called Dog, D-O-G-U-E, and it is basically mm-hmm. a, a little niche subreddit where people have made up fake magazine covers with fancily dressed dogs and headlines all around them that say things like seven ways uh, your owner will try to trick you when you're playing fetch and the ultimate guide to manipulating your human and is that poop vegan and which grapes are edible? The answer will shock you. It's just really fun. Um, and that's a joke, of course, because grapes are poisonous to dogs and don't, no grapes are edible don't give for them dogs. Do- don't give them grapes. Don't give your dogs anyway, grapes. Don't do it. Anyway, it's a really, really adorable little subreddit. There's tons of great reddits about dogs on uh, subreddits about dogs on Reddit, including Zoomies, which is just basically videos of dogs running around in a circle, and uh, Round Dogs, which is literally dogs that are just round. Uh, but Dog is a new one I found, and it's super delightful. Great humor for all eight dog lovers of all ages and i highly recommend the content on it if not all of the website surrounding it all right uh carvel you go uh i'm gonna recommend a classic tuck everlasting the 1970s uh sort of classic uh youth novel that i think i guess it's yeah 19 maybe 1978 five or something like that uh, by Natalie Babbitt um, and uh, exploring just all kinds of really beautiful and complex themes, including immortality. Um, and uh, Georgia just read it over the teacher's strike, which by the way is over. Um, 
And so that's good. But Georgia read this in another book over the teacher's strike and was really into it. And, and uh, she insisted that I recommend it on the show. So I am. It's a classic uh, probably for kids ages. I'm going to say boo, 10 and up. Uh, Tuck Everlasting by Natalie Babbitt, an, an all time classic of children's literature. All right. Uh, I'm going to cheat a little bit. I'm going to recommend No Thank You, Evil. It's the game that I talked about during Triumphs and Fails. Uh, <laughs> it is so good, and uh, it was such a fun activity, and also it's really, really well designed. What's cool about it is, whereas in like most role-playing games, you're either a warrior or a magic user or a thief or you're in one of these character classes, the pitch of No Thank You, Evil is like the kid can be whatever they want to be. So like we had a kid who wanted to be a vampire. Okay, there's a way to make a vampire character. We had a kid who wanted to be a candy wizard and so okay that's fine i guess that's just a kind of wizard but all of the powers are candy themed and um it it becomes this adventure for kids where they get uh, it sounds so like everybody says oh it's using your imagination it is really you are really seeing the kids using their imagination in an incredibly direct way um the mechanics of playing it, which involve rolling dice and keeping track of different groups of tokens, and there's lots of different characteristics and stuff, it's much more complicated than I think is really advisable. And what I discovered is when you start playing and it's time to like make a decision or like there's supposed to be a rule that applies, you don't look it up in the book. You just like make it up because you're the person who, who is guiding this thing and it all works fine. You just kind of bluff and, and make it up as you go along. But the thing gives you a structure for the adventure and all of these plot points and uh, it's super cool. Uh, you can go to nothankyouevil.com uh, to see where to order it. It's from a company called Monty Cook Games, which is an independent role playing games designer apparently there is a world of these things i have learned about um so check it out that's my recommendation and that's our show uh slate plus members stick around mary harris from what next is coming by she has some thoughts about homework if you have a question that you want us to tackle, you should call us. Uh, you can do that at 424-255-7833. Uh, or you can send us an email at the email address of slate.com. In addition, we have a Facebook group. In this Facebook group, people discuss every episode of the show. I love reading what people say about the show, mostly because it's usually positive, even though sometimes it isn't. That's okay, too. Uh, but also, <laughs> I, in addition to loving your praise and compliments, um, I love seeing parents sharing their own problems and giving each other advice and sharing triumphs and fails and making recommendations, and it's really cool. Go on Facebook, search for Slate Parenting. Our podcast is produced by Benjamin Frisch. For Carvel Wallace and Rebecca Lavoy, I'm Gabriel Roth. We'll be back next week. Hi, Mom and Dad are Fighting listeners. Here's a preview of this week's Slate Plus segment. If you want to hear the whole thing, sign up at slate.com slash momanddadplus. And then a parent says, in like the nicest way, where somehow homework comes up, and they say, you know... I don't, you know, I don't even worry about homework. Like, that's between my kid and their teacher. That's their business, and I don't worry about it. All right, thanks for listening. Again, you can hear that whole segment at slate.com slash momanddadplus. We'll see you next week. Step into the world of power, loyalty 
and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.